Okay, folks, uh, thank you very much for, for choosing to come to this panel uh, today. We have, uh, we have three speakers. Um, we actually probably have four because I'm going to exert chair's privilege and speak a little <laughs> bit too um, because we've got three and everyone else has got four. Um, to, to my left, we have Graham Miller, uh, who is the uh, founder of an outstanding photography uh, project and website called Photo Honesty, um, and he's a documentary photographer. Um, I am Chris O'Sullivan. I'm in my day job, Policy and Development Manager at Mental Health Foundation. Um, in my other jobs, um, I am a part-time professional photographer, I guess you would say, um, also specialising in documentary photography. Uh, to my immediate right... We have Alison Kerry from MIND, um, and I should say that uh, MIND is not an acronym, so uh, <laughs> on, on the programme it's M, capital M, small I, small N, small D, um, uh, that's how you get on board with a comms person. Um, <laughs> and uh, to, to my far right, um, in position only, um, it, it's, it's Alex Hewitt. Uh, Alex is a photographer and picture editor. Um, and in discussion with him beforehand, he's aware that uh, as a picture editor, he's prepared to take on uh, some of the burden of his profession in relation to stigma um, <laughs> if people have difficult questions. Um, he does, however, have a train at a little after four, so he'll be leaving early. So if we want to say anything about him in the last 15 minutes of the session, we can. Promise I'm not running. <laughs> so um, I'm going to kick us off and... and uh, Float some, uh, float some boats, fly some kites, hopefully get you thinking, and then we'll hear for, for, from each of the three speakers, and then hopefully we should have, if not quite half, at least 20 minutes to, to kick around some, some discussion between us, because I'm sure after all the things you've heard today, you're, you're pumped up and primed and ready to go. So, so that's a starting. I should also say that my phone is on. Um, because my second child is due today um, and I was given permission to, uh, to come to this conference. Um, I, have, I have made a text which in fact is buzzing right now, let me just check. Um, it's, it, it, it appears to be someone offering me a PFI refund. Um, okay, um, so... No, that's a tweet. Uh, <laughs> photography, photography and mental health, well, where do we start? Uh, photography is by definition about darkness and light, um, how light works and what light makes. Um, and I think light and dark is quite a good way of thinking about photography and mental health because it has the ability to shed light um, and, and some dark areas um, which need uh, exposing to the light, as I believe someone once said. The other maxim which always springs to mind is that a picture tells a thousand words. Uh, and some of the pictures you see in the world might tell a thousand stigmatising words. Other pictures that you see tell a thousand words of hope, of uh, confidence, of self-exploration and of reflection. Um, and we need to consider both of those aspects. So um, in preparing the panel today, I'd had quite a think about all the areas that photography um, and mental health kind of touch on. Um, and uh, there are a number of those uh, which we could have picked. Um, we asked the panel to think about three questions and I would ask you to think about these three questions as well as you think about things that you might want to say in the discussion. Um, first of all, I wanted us to think about how people are using photography both 
the old style of photography with uh, with develop, developing and films and uh, and, and uh, traditional cameras um, and new photography in terms of digital imaging and in terms of hyper new photography in terms of things like Instagram and instant photography um, the Polaroid of our age I might say um, how are people doing that how are people telling their stories how are they curating their experiences how are they using that to fight stigma how are they using it to reflect and to boost their own mental health and I'm going to say a little bit about that personally in a minute then I want to think how does the visual image help us to communicate the reality of mental ill health without reinforcing stigma so how can photography help us to, to explain to the world to communicate what mental health is without reinforcing things in one image and having just come from the film session where they talked a little bit about how a whole arc of a film can do that how's that different for an individual picture and I, link, I guess linked to that is the fact that quite a lot of our images around mental health our still images around mental health come in advertising and editorial photography um, and there are a whole swathe of issues around ad, uh, um, editorial and advertising photography from the likes of body image to the likes of uh, the way images are used to portray certain stereotypes to the way that uh, photographs which have to portray what the content of an article in the media is to the reader sometimes reinforce uh, stigma or stereotype deliberately and accidentally as well. And those of you who are uh, uh, social media fans will maybe have seen the head clutcher um, uh, the head clutcher uh, hashtag um, because you know that the BBC tend to uh, always put pictures of people holding their heads in fact the BBC favour the, the neighbouring uh, knee clutcher particularly in relation to young people's mental health um, I know that I can no longer clutch my knees which makes me doubly excluded I guess um, but uh, as luck would have it uh, time to change have, uh, have started some work on that uh, with picture editors and, and that's what Alison's going to talk to us about later. So before I dominate the entire session, I was hoping that we would have a speaker today um, from a, a company, a Scottish company called Blipphoto, um, uh, a chap called Graham McLachlan, um, who, who would love it here today. Um, Blipphoto is a Scottish uh, startup social media site which allows you to record your life uh, one picture a day. Uh, one picture and a few words. Um, very simple idea. Um, Graham wasn't able to make it because uh, Blip Photo ran into some financial difficulties um, a couple of weeks ago, and they've had to they had to liquidate the company, and they've now been bought. Um, so Blip Photo as a community will continue, uh, which is great news. But uh, so Graham couldn't be here today because he's celebrating the fact that his uh, his uh, baby is 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 continuing. But I've thought a lot in my experience of blipping, it's even got a verb, um, I now have 2,030 successive days of pictures, so nearly six years of pictures every single day um, for all that time, pictures and a bit of writing. And it's very interesting looking back over that period, uh, the highs, the lows, the mundane, a lot of the pictures are absolutely crap, but they, they, they remind me where I am. Some of the pictures uh, are, are, you know, not crap, and some of the writing is not crap, and it's very precious to me. And last week, when the company was at risk of going into liquidation, the community, you know, collectively 
realised what they had to lose um, and, and rallied together all the more in the sense that this social history has been there and that these perspectives have been given. And in terms of mental health, a lot of people, and we know this from social media in general, people have co-opted that space to tell their story. And what's fascinating with Blip is that when people tell their mental health story on Blip, <coughs> there's no flaming. Uh, the first rule of the community is be excellent to each other, which is Bill and Ted's, if anyone remembers that. Um, but people genuinely are. I mean, there are people on there who tell, who talk their way through traumatic incidents. So people who continue their photo a day during the bereavement of a parent or the loss of a child. There are people on there who make suicide attempts um, and, and carry on blipping a few days later. There's a, a person who has experienced a very severe bout of depression and is now receiving ECT and is contemplating going back to work and that experience is told one picture a day so um, I was going to show you what it looks like just very quickly and then I promise I will let the speakers speak um, I'm not on a, on a retainer we know they don't have any money but uh, this is this is the picture that's in my head um, at the moment this is the 12th of May 2013 and that is uh, my current daughter, my first daughter, um, when she is about 15 seconds old. Um, I was told that I wasn't allowed to get the camera out in the delivery room until the moment that I was allowed um, and told. And, and my partner turned around to me just very shortly before this moment and said, Get the camera! <laughs> um, and the gas and air fell from her hand. Um, so, so that image nobody can take away, but what, what works for me is that you can write as well. Um, and now it's become almost zen-like um, because you can time hop between... <coughs> try and do IT whilst talking engagingly. Um, you can time hop between two points. I now find that I don't check my diary to find out where I was, I check my journal. Um, uh, I can see two pictures and think about the progress in my life between them. I can be having a really, really bad day in the office and I know that I will go out at lunchtime with a camera um, and try and find something interesting. Uh, I know that um, I can tell how my mood's going by how much I write where I am. Um, recently I had a uh, cause to, to, to question whether my bipolar might be rearing its ugly head again. I, uh, I suspect it wasn't, but uh, you know, I was able to look back over time and see how that had gone. So for me, telling that story and curating that story has been very important, and that's why I wanted to be here today. So that was, that was me. I probably took 10 minutes. I probably shouldn't have, but, you know. <laughs> I'm going on paternity leave any day now. <laughs> I'm, taking a, I'm taking a month, and there's going to be loads of baby photos on Blip <laughs> and on Flickr. So, so let's get into it, um, and... Uh, Let's try as we go to think about the artistic, to think about the way that the art of photography um, can help us with exploring mental health and our recovery. And let's think about the photography that makes it mainstream to the public, the art that people see in photography and how that's presented and how we can work with that too. And let's see where we go. So first up is, is Graham, and I will let Graham tell you 
about himself. Uh, Graham, there is here is the dibber of power. Um, oh, you press, you press that to change me. the slides. Um, you promise? Uh, I, my, my I, promise, I promise. I promise <laughs> nothing, but batteries providing, then you can do that. And uh, feel free to jump up to the big mic if you want That'll to. That'll be fine. Uh, I'll just, just say, yeah, thank you very much. So, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm Graham. I'm from Perth. I live in Perth, and for the last uh, five years, I've been focused on using photography to challenge stigma um, all around disability. So not essentially mental health issues, but I did in the beginning, Susan in the audience, um, who helped with the project in Perth. And, uh, and then from there, I, in the last couple of years, I've been doing quite a lot of work around Down syndrome. Um, but at the heart of all of that is challenging stigma and how to challenge stigma. So when Chris invited me to come and speak today, it's a subject that's very dear to my heart because although Chris has very kindly said founder of Photo Honesty up here, it's a rather grand title for me because I'm, I'm photo honesty. I don't think this is about me. This is about challenging stigma. Um, although that title did get me into trouble recently because the insurance company who insure my house thought I was a professional photographer running a business from the house and they tried to increase my insurance premiums because they'd looked at my website. So I now have a different insurer, but that's, that's beside the point. So I, I'm, I'm all about challenging stigma and, and uh, for a couple of years ago I got a, an MA in documentary photography from the University of the Arts London, which was really important to me because I was working in a full-time job, I'm still working in a full-time job, totally unrelated to photography, so everything I do is, is outside, of, outside of work in my own time. Um, and I don't get paid for it. So, um, as I say, engagement's uh, really important to me, and engagement with the audience and how you might achieve that. And with the kind of advent of new cameras, technology, it's much more accessible to people. There are a gazillion photographs out there. So how do you take your photograph and make it more noticeable to, to other people? I think people have actually, we talk about, you know, reading, reading photographs. Photographers do that. They look at photographs, they understand them, they try to see something in them. But I think the audience that we want to engage with don't do that. There's a little experiment I do when I, whenever I travel. If I find a, a New York Times in an airport when I'm travelling, I never buy it. But if I find it in an airport, I'll look at it from cover to cover. I never read any of the words. I look at all the pictures. And, it's, and if it's an, ever an experiment you do, I promise you, every time I've done it, Every single photograph in that newspaper tells a story. It's a wonderful example of how documentary photography can you know, continue to tell stories. So there has to be other ways to engage the audience, to get their attention. And I've got a couple of things that, that I've kind of, it's kind of developed or evolved from my practice in the last couple of years that I'm going to very quickly show with you. Um, this is Scott, by the way, in this photograph. And what I like about Scott is that I know he has mental health issues. I don't know anything else about him. So this is one of the few people I've actually photographed without asking him about his background, where he's come from, why he feels the way he does, because that's usually what I do in my practice. That's just Scott. And I'm quite pleased I didn't feel the need to ask the question in the first place, to be honest. This is a photograph taken uh, just about a month and a half ago, and it relates to 6%, which is the project I did around Down syndrome. This is the exhibition up in the Burnham Institute in Perth, which is a really nice space if you get a chance to go there. And what's really interesting about this in terms of engagement is the girls you see standing there are from the local college from Perth's NC childcare class. So there were 50 people came along to the exhibition. I guided them into a room before they actually saw the exhibition, so they hadn't seen it. 
and we sat there and we talked about documentary photography for 15, 20 minutes. And I said, and what this is all about, I said, well, do you know what documentary photography is? No, don't know what it is. Okay, this is what it is. And rather than spending 15 minutes walking around the exhibition, what I want you to do is spend 45 minutes walking around the exhibition. I want you to stand in front of every photograph and consider what you see. Look at every detail in that photograph. What am I trying to tell you? And the consequence of doing this kind of thing, I think, is really important. This might actually have more value than having front page of the Observer on a Sunday. Because the front page on the Observer on a Sunday is a transient moment. Here we've got 50 people who are going into childcare. You've probably got 40 or 50 years of their career ahead of them. who are going to talk about Down syndrome and, and the stigma attached to it. And we did a similar project, although we didn't do it around the exhibition the year prior to that. And the, the lady who was running the course, managing the course, said that 95% of the students wrote about Down syndrome in their final project. So that, that to me is a simple simple way to ensure engagement. So as photographers, I mean, I've got a habit myself of taking photographs, either never showing them or just putting them out there and letting them do their work. And I think we have to give a little bit more thought about what we do with those photographs to leverage them more, to make more of, of this kind of thing. That's a simple thing to do. And in the last, you know, Chris very kindly asked me to speak, was it three years ago? Two years? Two, two. A while ago, two years ago. Um, Spike as well. Yeah. And, uh, three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's when I saw your face. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, at that time, I introduced this idea of what I was calling the accessible conceptual because I could, and I'll explain what it means, and hopefully it's quite clear, but uh, at the time I could see a lot of my photographer friends were really going a bit crazy and they were trying to find themselves photographically and they were taking photographs of the weird and wonderful and I couldn't make head or tail of what they were doing. They looked really nice but they didn't actually say anything. And I think to actually achieve what I want to achieve, then people have to get it. I have to engage them, and then they have to get it. If I engage them and they make their own mind up about it and they don't get it, I've failed. They have to engage with it, and they have to get it. So what I mean by accessible conceptual is that we make some people think, because that's the engagement, and then they very easily understand what I'm trying to say. That's the message. So here you see uh, Alex standing in the middle of Perth Town Centre, uh, 19 years old. Um, Alex has Asperger's. Um, I did a, worked with Alex for about six weeks and I was trying to really define more of what Ale who Alex was. When I met his mother, his mother said, this is Alex, he has Asperger's. I said, Sheila, don't, don't say that. That's, that's not the point. This is Alex. Full stop, you know, and as I got to know Alex, I got to understand different parts of his life and aspects of his life. And I went into this project thinking I'm going to do what I always do, which is more conventional, traditional documentary photography. I'll follow him around, I'll take a few photographs, and then I'll try and communicate in a balanced way who Alex is. Alex is. And during the process, it became clear that Alex had difficulty engaging with others. I couldn't represent that in a photograph. I just couldn't do it. So I had to sit down and actually work out a way of showing how that affected Alex. So this is him, God bless him actually, standing in the middle of Perth Town Centre. We constructed this photograph together. It's the first photograph I've ever constructed. Everything else has just been taken as, a, as the moment occurred. Um, I'd like to say a shout to the guy with his back to us there, because he, he's not a prop but he did help the photograph. <laughs> and there's a lady on the left there staring in intrigued at what I'm doing. She also helped the photograph. You know, but you begin to see here where I'm kind of been going with this. It's, 
accessible conceptual. So you look at that photograph and say, hang on a minute, what's, what's going on there? Now, to take that photograph in a single photographic context like that and say, well, that's Alex, that's not Alex. I mean, there's more to Alex than that. So I started to play around with the idea of, well, to the point you made earlier, Chris, about you know, the photo essay, if you do a body of work, where, where would you publish that? Where, who would take it? Who would present it in the way that you want it to be seen? It's always going to be changed. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be smaller. They'll take pictures out. They'll put different words in. So you never actually get a chance to represent exactly what you want to represent. So I wanted to find some other way of taking this accessible conceptual to the next stage. And this for me was it. This is just a mock-up of a magazine. And it's never been published. It may eventually be published. But if you look in the top right-hand corner here, this is issue two. There was a very good reason for choosing issue two, because I remember as a child, I used to get a comic delivered to the house. And they used to always tell you in the comic, comic next week you're going to get a special gift. And I couldn't contain the excitement. I couldn't sleep the night before, because I knew I was going to get a kazoo or something in the comic the next day. I know it's shallow. That's the way I was. That's the way I still am. Still get a comic. But, so I wanted to kind of create this idea of issue one had to appear and say that in issue two, you were going to get a free gift. And this was a net, and the net was Alex, and you had to cut him out, and you had to form the cube to get six dimensions of Alex. Now, the key thing here is that there's the photograph you saw. You can't see it so well because it's upside down. This is a picture of Alex completing his catering training at college because he's now a qualified chef. This is Alex playing a fantasy card game that he plays. He's won regional events for playing fantasy cards. So this is another dimension of, of Alex. And the, other, the only other constructed image in here is this, the clipboard. And again, you know, his family would say to me, Alex is great. What Alex does is he rehearses life events. So he searches his database of life events and then he remembers what he did in that situation before and he replays it. So this is a very simple way for me to kind of give the to to point to that, to highlight that, that Alex's life is about rehearsal. That's how he, that's how he copes. So I've not done anything else with this, but it's kind of led to me to move away from, you know, the conventional documentary approach that I never ever thought I would do. I'm a real photographic traditionalist, but I feel I have to go this way in order to communicate with the people that I need to get to, to get the message to. And that's reflected in what I'm doing now. So I have a couple of projects at the moment. Uh, Broco, Broken is a project around uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. I've been working with a, an ex-lady squaddy here in Glasgow, so we're about to kind of put that work out. Uh, I'm going to Athens in June as part of a photo residency to work on um, the impact of the financial crisis on disability uh, in Greece. It's, it's a, it's a week-long project, but a week-long project for me is a luxury. I usually get days here and there, so I can't wait. And then there are three other projects coming along. The first two are very definitely accessible, conceptual. So Spotlight is something I want to talk to you about, Susan, later. We missed that lunchtime. And Phi is a properly multimedia project where I'm trying to bring together photography and sculpture. And if I can do what I want to do, I'm going to have to close streets to do it. So that's the intention, that's where I'm going to go with this, and I want to get and create a lot of attention. I, I kind of, attention's another important subject for me because, because of the little time that I have, time is my most precious asset, I can't spend time promoting what I do. So a lot of this stuff happens and it has to find its own way out there. Mm -hmm. And the final, final bullet point here is related to really real resources. So 
I, in my day job, I've got a lot of commercial experience. I know how to run startup businesses. I'm, I'm a commercial person. Uh, I do global sales and marketing. It's my job. So I believe there's a, there's an opportunity there to actually put high quality images and content that's moving moving video and writing out into the out into the market and I'm working on developing a business around that. So finally, just to thank you, buddy, because I very much for the invitation to to come here for the conversations that we don't have often enough on the telephone around photography. Thanks to all the people who actually sit for me and because. They open up their lives to me. This is very private stuff. There's a lot of trust involved. They give me a lot of trust. Alex, who stood for an hour in the middle of Perth town centre in the freezing cold, who you know went along with the whole project, totally against that man's instincts to stand in the middle of a public place for an hour, and he did it. He did it for me. So, so I hope that provides a little bit more context to what we're about to discuss today. But uh, thanks again for letting me talk to you. We don't need it. Um, actually, just advance it one more so we go back to the. Uh... There we go. Yeah, Th thanks very much. I said uh, jokingly to the, this, this, this panel when we were just meeting up that um, when I do documentary photography, it's uh, I'm, I'm a bit like a vampire. I, I like I like to to find other people's moments of love. So I quite like weddings and babies because. <laughs> I like to find the moment between two people um, and then give that to them. So, yeah, definitely, Graham. Um, we'll, we'll just keep promoting your work for you whilst you're busy making it. <laughs> um, let's hear... I think maybe we'll go to Alex next, if that's OK. Yeah, um, Alex, Alex is uh, a, a professional photographer and uh, an accomplished professional photographer and also a pictures editor. Um, something that I don't think many people in, in mental health know what, what a pictures editor does and what the roles and limitations are of that and I know you're going to tell us a bit about that so uh, yeah. take it away Alex. Hi everyone, um, I earn my living as a commercial photographer now but um, on leaving Stevenson College in 2000 I was lucky enough to get a job or so I thought lucky enough to get a job at the Scotsman on the picture desk uh, as a junior researcher to start with um, this was in the days when the Scotsman and most other newspapers around the countries had budgets and they had photographers that they would use to document stories and to tell the stories of the words that had been written in photography. And on the subject of mental health, we would always run stories on it because the Scotsman engages the community. And um, sorry, former colleague distracted me coming in. <laughs> um, and the, um, the way in which we started off telling the stories when it was a, regarding situations of mental health was we would go and find people who were telling us their stories and our photographers would go and take photographs of those people in sensitive contexts which were suitable for the story that the people wanted to tell. But over time, the budgets and the, the, the amount of man hours we had on the desk dwindled and dwindled to the point where we didn't have any resources at all and this is where the, 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 the bogeyman on the panel comes in because what we were asked to do was to illustrate every story with bland stock photography. Um, this was all the Scotsman would put the budget towards. Wherever possible we would still ask for somebody who could represent the story because we always wanted to humanise the context in which the story was being told. 
we always felt as picture editors that there was a much bigger association when you've actually got a person talking to you from the from from the, uh, the, the images that go with any story. But in all their infinite wisdom, the publishers took away those assets that we had and gave us subscriptions to stock photography libraries, which were meant to do the same job. And you would go in as a picture editor. We had responsibility for looking out something in the region of 300 to 350 pictures a day um, in a team of four people. And every single image had to be researched or brought in from somewhere in order to actually fit the story itself and eventually stories where mental health was concerned would become the lowest common denominator and this is where the head clutcher image started to come in and believe it or not the head clutcher image and the knee clutcher image haven't actually been around and getting used for that long but they're used so commonly now and in so many different contexts, illustrates so many different stories that it's become the stigma, the stigmatizing image of what, what it is to suffer from mental health conditions. And um, we would always, as photo editors, have a responsibility to our readers to try and engage the story so that they had an easy access point for it. Like they say, a picture tells a, tells a thousand words and every single member of the team that I was on would rally against this idea of this stigmatizing picture, but the editors and the budgets that we were working under would mean that they want something which they perceived as bright and easy access point to the story, and more often than not, the one that would get in the paper would be the, the head clutcher image. And you try as hard as you might in order to try and over undermine that decision or to give something which was a more positive outlook, it would never happen. And um, it was recently that I heard about what Alison's going to talk about and um, the, t the picture, sorry, the get, the picture. get the picture <laughs> campaign. Um, and it's something which picture editors have needed for the last four or five years, which actually is a resource which they can go to to find images which are suitable for any illustrative purpose in this context because the, the, the pressures that we were under in order to find images within a very small amount of time were massive and this gives a library which is um, something which a resource which can actually be used to take illustrating these stories onto the next level. Mm. Fantastic. Um, that's, that, that sounded really sarcastic. I'm sorry. Fantastic, though. <laughs> that, was, that was massively engaged. And I think it's the next stage of addressing stigma, and it's very much the direction of travel that CME has taken since since it relaunched last year, is, is moving on the debate um, and really imagining how we can make a difference. And I think understanding how we unpack documentary photography and how people take part in imaging, image making is one aspect of that but I think understanding the pressures on picture editors to make decisions, understanding the pressures that health service staff face when they see multiple people in a day is definitely something that we as activists in mental health need to take on board when we're asking those people to change their behaviours. Um, and uh, in asking people to change their behaviours, Time to Change has been uh, working now for six years, seven years? Uh, eight years, nine years in in uh, yeah no not quite nine years because CME's been ten. Um, so it's 
seven years, seven years, I think it is, isn't it? Um, in England, times changed back by comic relief and the national lottery. Or I can't remember which bit of the national lottery. Big, big lottery. Big lottery. Yes, yeah. it would need to be the big lottery, wouldn't it? Um, and uh, it, as in Scotland, where Seamy uh, is. Uh, uh, managed by by a partnership of Sam H and, and the Mental Health Foundation. Time to Change is, is managed by a partnership of, of Mind and Rethink. Um, and and Alison is, is joining us from Mind to tell us a bit about that work. So take it away, Alison. Chris. <laughs> um, so as Chris says, I'm I'm the head media at Mind and I work part of my time is working um, as part of the Time to Change campaign. And um, so I'm here to talk about the Get the Picture campaign, which we just launched only just over a week ago. And um, so I wanted to tell you just how this came about, because as you rightly pointed out, the, the head clutcher image, I think, has really taken off in the last four or five years. So much so that um, quite a number of um, bloggers and Twitter activists um, started to document whenever they saw the, whenever they saw the head clutcher. So every time they saw it used, accompanying a news article they would have hashtag head clutcher and then tell a little story about why it was there today and then it became a, almost a running joke because they were doing it so much every day there was two three head clutchers often the bbc <laughs> thank you modeling it for me beautifully there of course that's exactly what it looks like <laughs> um and um so We'd also taken notice at Mind and Time to Change that this was happening and um, and and we started to think, you know, is, is there something that can be done here about this? And then we had a few chance meetings that helped us think, actually, yeah, there is something that we could do, let's, let's challenge it. Um, so we actually, um, a colleague of mine, um, had this chance meeting with Alan Sparrow, who, if you don't know, he's the chairman of the Picture Editors Guild. And um, she had a chat with him and said, oh, we've got this problem with this pitch of the head clutcher. And he, he had no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> and again, she modelled a bit like Chris just did. Um, <laughs> and why this might be any kind of problem at all or why people might find it offensive or stigmatising. And he said, oh, right, OK, I, I see. Yeah, I see your point. I had no idea that this was an issue and just thought it was a bit of a shorthand for quick news story, mental health, breaking news, Flat the head clutch, you know, it's just shorthand for mental health in, in illustration. And didn't, you know, realise that there was anything wrong with that. And when he, he listened, he, he heard that and he, he said, yeah, right, what can I do to help you? Tell me what I can do. Um, and he introduced us to a picture agency called Newscast. Um, they were equally supportive and sympathetic and said, we will work for you for free. We will take some pictures for you. Tell us what you want to take. We will take pictures of an alternative to the head clutcher. So we were blown away by this amazing opportunity, but we obviously didn't have the answer to that. So we asked our Time to Change supporters over social media, what would you like? What If you could see anything, what would you like to see? Um, and about 2,000 people came back to us and they told us what they thought. And um, it was interesting because 58% of them said that they found that head clutcher picture very stigmatising. Um, 76% said it made others think that that is what people with mental health problems look like all the time. <laughs> um, and 80% said it definitely doesn't depict, depict mental health problems for me. So um, they were very um, convincing in saying that we they th felt there was a need to try and challenge this picture. And what they wanted to see instead, they wanted to see pictures of compassion, um, of conversation um, and of friendship. And they also said in um, 
lots of ideas and photos that they found online, uh, pictures they'd like to see. So we took all those ideas and then we asked Newscast to go away and try and create some of these images, new images. Um, now, in part of that, we talked at length at Time to Change about who we should have in the photographs. Should we use people with personal experience and mental health problems? Because obviously that would be a better thing to do, to have people with real-life experience in those images. But we were very aware that we would be giving these images to the, me the media, to the press, for free, to use however they wanted. It could be used on the front page of the Daily Mail. You might hate the Daily Mail. You might not. Um, you might not want to be in the sun. You could have your image used against the picture, which was perhaps a stigmatising story about dangerousness or violence, or it could just be a story about diarrhoea or <laughs> erectile dysfunction and nothing to do with mental health whatsoever. <laughs> it, so these images would Those be... things get you down. <laughs> yeah, they could get you down. Um, but, you know, we would be giving these... You would be signing your you know, rights away for however this picture would be used in the future. So we thought, is, you know, is that appropriate to ask people if they want to do that? But we thought that it was you know it was for people to decide for themselves so we put the question out there and a hundred people came back to us and said yes please pick me I want to be in the picture I don't care I, I feel so strongly that um, I want there to be better quality images out there about mental health uh, alongside news stories I'm happy to, to sign this and to do it so um, we found some people through that process who wanted to be photographed which is amazing and um, so last week we launched our new images. We've got about 300, I think, to start off with. Um, now, I'm sure that you'll agree that actually that's not that many images for um, picture editors. It's not got that long a lifespan. No, no. So this is very much just a starting point for the campaign. It was just to put this on the radar of picture editors that we want them to stop using the head clutcher, that we want them to start using alternatives. We've got a few. Hopefully this will be the beginning and there might be more to come. Um, but we just wanted to, to put it out there and, and make some noise about it. Um, so we had a launch event last week and we had about 80 picture editors come along to hear from our speakers, to hear from uh, one of the models that took part, Rehan. He, he spoke to them uh, about why he felt so passionate about wanting to be part of the project. And um, we showed them the images and by the end of the week we'd been in The Guardian Online, BBC One O'Clock News and BBC Online. So This is, this is images from the image bank. Images from the, the new bank. image bank. Yeah, which is great. So, um, and actually, what happened on Friday? There was a it was a, a story about um, cuts to mental health services, and the BBC had done a freedom of information request and find out about the amount of money that had been cut from the mental health budget across the country. Um, and the story was online. They started that story with a head clutcher at the beginning of the day. We contacted them and said, "Take that down now," and they took it off and, and put one of our new images up there. So. Policing it as we go is going to be an interesting thing as well in the future because obviously to have the you know, have necessarily got the resources to keep reading every newspaper and picking out everyone every day and following it up. But you know we hope that there'll be lots of champions now as we spread the word and people will help us do that. So if you also spot a head clutcher, get in touch. Tell them shame, not to use shame, it. Shame the publication. Shame <laughs> tell them that there's something else out there that they can use. Um, so yeah, so it's just just the beginning hopefully and lots more to come. And that, that makes the difference in anti-stigma work, one of the things with, with media. Sorry, in a former life, I used to work for, for, for See Me, and I worked for See Me on the day that the bonkers Bruno headline came out. And as it was, we were all on our way to Inverness for a team uh, meeting, which was a bit of a tricky place to on that railway line to, to arrange a riposte. But... Um, 
but people respond, be they the media or anybody else, to a gentle um, explanation that what they've done doesn't work or isn't right and an offer of an alternative that is. Um, a lot of stigma, I mean, don't get me wrong, there is out-and-out out harassment and discrimination, which is abhorrent, but a lot of stigma comes from, from ignorance and, and not understanding where things are wrong. And it's great to hear that the picture editors have responded in that way and that you're now able to say, take down the head clutcher and go here, rather than take down the head clutcher, it's stigmatising, leaving the picture editor with yet another picture to find um, on, that, on that particular day. Thank you so much. Um, I, I've got a hundred questions I could ask the panel, um, but I'm not going to. I'm going to ask you. Um, I, I also wonder whether the audience might be prepared to, to fake some head clutches so that I can take a photo and tweet and tweet it to get the picture campaign. Um, mass head clutcher would be good. Yeah. Does, does anyone fancy doing a mass, mass head clutcher? Do you, guys, do you guys want to be in the mass head clutcher as well? No, I want to take the picture. You want to take the picture? Okay. I might have to take one with my actual camera and then it might make it to my blip tonight. Um, that's if the baby doesn't come. Um, because because you, that, you will be knocked off the front page by that. So uh, everybody gra grab their heads, their knees, their arms in whatever way they can see. Um, oh my God, there's so much light here. Outstanding. I won't bother with the big camera. That's good. <laughs> so there we are. For, captured for posterity, the last, the last head clutcher, and perhaps it should be the picture editor who tweets it. <laughs> you know, the... Who who has something they'd like to throw in? It? Lee Lee Nifton has something he'd like to throw in. Really do. Yes. As you were talking. I, I'm talking not from my mental health foundation, but I was having a university where we we have a masters in journalism, digital journalism, and PhD student here as well. And so conflicted by this, as you were talking, but immediately I started to think, not knowing the talk afterwards was, well, we could do a great open source, free, charity-led database. Wouldn't that solve the problem? And which you've already yeah, attempted, yeah. hopefully it's not too commercial. Um, but at the same time, and I wonder what you're thinking as a, as a as we talk with others, about a broader, I can't see a fault in relation to stigma and anti-stigma work, which is our core mission, but what does that do to us, to journalism as a profession, and does it open the gates to, I can see how this would work with big private corporations, private healthcare, you know, if we really diminish and don't fight for, for photography and photojournalism to get one win, which is, I can't, I would do it. And we do it in, in mental health stigma work. We diminish critical uh, photography in the media for things, the big big wins of privatisation agendas. You see Booper's, yeah. Booper's health image file for free as long as you have a little... As long as you credit Booper on them as well, yeah. Back. And where's the boundaries in terms of the big ethical social yeah. question? Well, one of the reasons that I eventually left the Scotsman was that we were under so much pressure in order to provide imagery for which was unsuitable for consumption um, on budgets which were had dwindled past the point of no return and I left so that I could actually focus on creating work which was more suitable. Um, the biggest issue is budgetary is issues 
because people use the picture libraries of Bupa because they're there and they can work within the context of the story. And when the big publications are, are, are using them, they almost overlook the fact that they're sponsored by a bigger corporation because they think, well, if the image fits, and it might not fit like a glove, but it's near enough ballpark, then that's the one that we'll use. And the picture editors have been put under so much pressure to do it within time constraints of, of, of the role. When I was at the Scotsman, there were, um, on a daily basis, there were four people on the desk, but there were eight people who would be uh, working there seven days a week. There's now three people doing that work. And it's those kind of pressures which make the get the picture campaign. Um, it is still stock photography, you know, I would say it's perfect, but if more and more people engage with that, then more and more money and resources from organisations and companies goes into creating images like that. One, you, you mentioned crowdsourcing images to some extent, and part of the problem with, with that is the perception of quality and whether an image is publication quality for any organisation. And that's why working with Newscast and, and Alan from the Picture Editors Guild, you actually get a level of images which can can be used in any context, be it in print or, or, or online. Mm -hmm. Can I just say something? It's definitely not what you want to hear. It's an uncomfortable truth, but it's a personal story. I sit here with poor mental health as a result of people getting pictures for free. You're David, aren't you? Yeah. Hi, David. So I lost my house, my lifestyle, and pretty much everything else that goes with it because people want stuff for nothing. Well, it was stories mm. like yours that made me to leave the newspaper. Mm. So, what was it? What was intriguing <coughs> to me? But what you said earlier was that you seem to be saying that, given an alternative, the head clutcher was still being. Yeah, chosen. Yeah. You know, so even if you had if you had a high standard of photojournalistic skill applied yeah. and a much better quality image that told the story, yeah. you, you, you the, still the would editors use would it. often still go for the lowest common denominator because it was the one that they were comfortable with. Um, offering an alternative takes time and consideration in persuasion of why that is a viable and suitable right. alternative, right. and right. you would only ever be able to dedicate a finite amount of time to sure. making that argument. Sure. Yeah. And you, yeah. every day you would have to choose the win some, lose some battle. And more mm. often than not, the, the, these images were the mm. ones which would be mm. the ones that you would mm. hold up your hands mm. to. So part of the strategic role of, of organisations like uh, or, or programmes like Time to Change and See Me is perhaps making a space in their work with editors and the media as a whole to see the whole picture. Um, I mean, we've, we've all we've all been part of a story where the, the, the words were great, but the picture was terrible, or the headline was diabolical, and the picture was great, and all the rest of it. Talking of time constraints, Alex. Actually, it's fine. I'm going to reschedule. I'd You're going to reschedule, yeah. and uh, brilliant, yeah. absolutely. We we kept you engaged. Graham, did you want to come in on that, um, and then I'm I'm going to solicit questions about. Uh, narrative and, and artistic photography. So. No, I mean, I, I'm doing, I, I put the point to Alex here, but gentleman there, I didn't catch your name, sorry. David. David. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, it's, it, it, it frustrates the hell out of me, the, the way I see the still image and photography being devalued, effectively, and, and I think in, you know, photographers, and by that I mean 
photographers who are career photographers need to earn a living and feed their family like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you, you take that away, you end up with this massive, strictly average photography. And, and that's why, you know, as I said earlier at the start of my presentation, when I travel, look at the New York Times, that's quality photography from start to finish, and it has a value. It's just not valued. It's not valued by picture editors, which... And it, which disappoints actually, me actually it, it, because actually I think it's valued by picture editors. It's just the Scotsman. The the the, the resources <laughs> that most picture editors have now have got to the point where they 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 can't entertain the idea of the budgets that the New York Times have got, and, uh -huh. and they have to uh -huh. they, they have to win some battles and lose some battles. Sure. Sure. Okay. Sure. But it's not no one's innocent in this room. I know. Of I know. Creating this because. Um, I mean, obviously, I've been in professional photography for about 25 years, um, and um, you know, I, I think I understand the world. And this has been a kind of creep culture of images, um, and it just can, it just it's turned into a flood. And I have to say, I think charities are are probably one of the worst offenders um, at looking for things for themselves. Um, but not, not really looking at the repercussions to maybe people who used to actually earn a living doing that. Mm. It's so easy to get images. It's so easy not to think of where they come from. It's so easy to appropriate stuff from the internet. You said yourself, I'm not attacking you personally, um, you know, but this goes back quite a few years of a semi-professional photographer who has another job. Mm -hmm. I mean, that absolutely mm -hmm. rankles with me. Mm -hmm. I know, I, I, I can... I can I, completely agree with you and that's why whenever somebody says to me you should do more professional photography I I am I bless my stars that I have a vocation to work in mental health you know mm. I've, I've maybe earned 200 quid from photography in, in five so years quid a professional guy could have made the difference. well abso absolutely you know, but you know that's, that's that that's life I mean I, I'm not a professional photographer mm. because I respect professional photographers but you know I'll make I'll make images all day long and, and Graham will the, too the I'm, culture I'm sure been slowly chipped away. Okay, well, yeah, yeah. thanks very much. And I think this, I mean, it's a, it's a valid perspective and I think all of us um, and the festival as a whole values the value of art um, and values the skills of artists. And I don't think, um, I don't think anyone expects uh, to that the, the photography as, a, as an art and as a professional um, vocation should be minimised, but there are things that are happening and it is a valid point to make that the, I think if Graham were here, he would point to the fact that there will be 3 billion images posted on the internet this year. Um, and that, that is a, a flood of image and I'm sure things, you know, on a, on a more micro level, things like Buzzfeed and memes and things that harvest images and, and pump them out, um, you know, are a risk to the profession and a risk that, that, that should be borne in mind and that charities should bear in mind when, when they're finding images. Can I take us off a little bit to for the, for the final uh, five, ten minutes of discussion into the, the other dimension, into the, into the narrative development and into the exploration of self and, and stigma in photography? Is there was a couple of hands that shot up, this lady and then this lady. Mine's similar yep. to where Great. you're going, but also remaining back. Um, in my role, I'm an artistic programmer in a participatory arts organisation. Okay. We use professional artists that we pay at professional rates mm -hmm. to work with um, a range of participants. 
one of my uh, reams is mental health. But one of the things that disturbs me is, I think the latest case I saw was, this is actually an American woman who documented her recovery from anorexia, mm -hmm. and her photos were stolen and are being used for one of these slimming pills adverts. Yeah. And um, we, we work with um, people, um, and we work with photographers, to use photography skills, you know, to develop skills or in, you know, well-being, mental health recovery. Brilliant. Some of them go purely autistic, but some do want to tackle stigma. But it is this, this, how do I, when the professionals who work in the media are being money cut, how do I protect vulnerable people and still give them the space, the time to create work, mm. but also make sure that when that cr work does go out to the public realm, that it doesn't get hacked by some, you know, multi, well not multi-million, but by some slimming pill company whose base is in not Britain, shall we say, you know. So I suppose it's how I'm, incredibly for creating images that challenge stigma if that's what the person wants to do but I'm also very aware that that image can be distorted turn around yeah and, yeah no know, what can I do I mean any advice Mark did you want to chip in on that uh, yeah first thing learn as much about copyright law as you can it's your it's really the only defense that you have Perfect. Which is something I do. I work across the arts, so for me, and I have to learn music. Every um, copyright law. Postgraduate copyright law is well, in theory, is relatively easy. Getting implementation on it is difficult. Um, threaten people. <laughs> <laughs> There's letters you can download with with yeah. copyright infringement, um, okay. takedown requests, and and demands for money as well. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're engaging but professional photographers, they should know their rights uh, and their copyright rights. I think yeah. I think it's more so, the, the, the if you're wanting to get people to take stuff down, threaten to make them pay for it. <laughs> I th I think they're wanting something free. If they're suddenly being billed for it. And being billed at a, there's a story I had that Scotsman actually. <laughs> when they changed their, I don't work for them. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it was when they had to start having really big problems with the NUS because they changed their freelance contract to something grotesque. Yeah. One of the people there who said, right, not working for them anymore, started noticing that one of his photographs was being used in an advert. And he built them for it, for mm -hmm. each individual time it appeared on TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 75 quid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, just as a. It's, I suppose it's, it's, it's how I enable my participants mm -hmm. to do because. It's great. You have to make them aware of possible. I think there's, there's an aspect, there's two aspects there that are coming through for you for me. There's one, don't take 
people's work and make money out of it and use it. There's another about being aware of what the consequences of sharing your work in public forums, be that on the internet or otherwise, because realistically speaking, if somebody on the other side of the world takes your image and use it, you're probably not going to, to be able to do stuff with that. But certainly, I mean, one of my other areas of interest is in digital mental health and one of the the big maxims in terms of young people and digital safety is teaching digital citizenship and part of that is understanding what the consequences of sharing certain things in certain ways are and I think it's something that we do need to face as people curate their life stories and are more careful careful about putting those um, are less careful about putting those things out there that those images can get subverted and um, you know, the, the stealing of an image to put on an advert is one thing, but the subversion of your um, eating disorder recovery photo for the purposes of a pro anna um, diet pill thing is 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 the, the sort of much more severe end of that. And yet, if we share, there may be people who do that. So do we have to find a way to understand that in the same way um, that you were talking about? people being aware of the fact that their image might be used and where it's used. I don't know if the panel have any... Mm -hmm. Yeah, go on, Josie. Uh, moving away from like logistics to more kind of theory, mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in your focus on photography, because I'm an illustrator, mm -hmm. and um, I recently <coughs> did a, my master's looking at how to use uh, visual like how to explain illness or express illness narratives through visual visuals and one thing that I found was a, something that came up again and again and again is actually you can't necessarily communicate someone's experience by portraying them and that isn't necessarily the best way to get other people on board with engaging with, with, with their story or being empathetic to them because we're so used, we're so conditioned to look at someone and immediately take information from that about whether they're like us or whether we think that our values would be the same. So I ended up looking much more at kind of abstraction and um, like landscape and kind of, yeah, those kind of ways of explaining things visually. Um, and I was interested in whether you think that photography that's a bit more abstract would ever be used or whether you would ever suggest that. I've seen it, I mean, I've seen it yeah. used and it can be used. But I mean, to, to my point earlier, for me, uh, I want to be sure that whenever that message goes out, it's a clear one mm. and people get it, you know. But your point's very interesting because it's, you, you're, you lead into this, the picture says, speaks a thousand words. 80% mm. of what I do is usually in an interview situation with the mm -hmm. sitter. So I ask them to relate their life experiences and I photograph them while they're doing that. So whenever my work appears, it's usually got an extended caption or words yeah. round about it. So there's a bit more qualification mm. there. I mean, I think every documentary photographer goes into their career thinking they're going to be able to tell the whole story with a photograph, yeah. which is, I guess, part of what you're, you're saying. Yeah. You know, it needs to be clear. Yeah. You, did you want to say anything? Okay. Just on that, you can't tell this whole story with a photograph. Very good essays from Susan Sontag before, yeah. just about this point that to photograph, if you change the words underneath it, you could change its meaning entirely. Mm -hmm. and I think it's it's the but what you say is really interesting because it's the for me it's the end result. Mm. So I'm not 
precious about my photography anymore. Mm. I don't have to be able to say I'm really proud of a photograph because it told the whole story. Mm. I just want to tell the story. Mm. You know. Sadly, the transient nature of daily media doesn't really allow mm. for um, that level of involvement yeah. in the photographs yeah, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 That's right. Kind of mm. taking out, you know, that, that it, very initial impression of it which is why a lot of editors favoured the head culture, unfortunately. Uh -huh. Lady, uh, the, the two ladies in the middle, actually, the lady <laughs> with the, the orange scarf, and then we'll maybe take another point from the lady next to you, and then we'll, we'll start to think about, I, I think, wrapping up, although nobody has wrapped the door yet. Andrew's got, Andrew's hiding down there with a the watch, no doubt. Um, <laughs> it's 20 past four, so we should wrap up the next. OK, so a couple of quick points, and then we'll take... It's OK, mine's really quick. Yep, <laughs> super. Um, I just wanted to ask Graham, uh, you were talking about your projects coming up. Um, I'm, <coughs> I'm wondering if uh, they're available on your website. I'd love to see, um, especially the one with the post-traumatic stress. There's nothing up there yet, but it will, will, will be? be soon. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Keep checking photohonesty.org every I week. Will do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will A lady does the updates for me, and I don't send her stuff often enough, as she uh, tells me. So. <laughs> you should. But that'll be, that'll be coming soon. Great. Lady next to you. Uh, my question was, following on from your point, what, what is the safest, if anyone can tell me, which, which do you think is the safest way of uploading pictures? For example, if you set up a... a well, I've tweeted... As, as a character and photographs of other people and put them on Twitter. But if I wanted to do that in a Facebook page or another way of using social media where you're taking photographs of other people, you're a, you're a performer, they're, a, you know, they're the public, and you're doing it for them to see, but how can you safeguard the image of them? It's because if you're saying other people might take that message, that, say Facebook, you might do a private page yeah, and okay. you invite everyone to that page, but then Facebook can own that picture, can't they? Yeah. So that means they can use that. Is there a way of safeguarding? Use a CD. <laughs> but it has to be a quick thing. Or it's send not, it on WeTransfer. It's not really mm. for that. It, because you are, you are sort of publicising yeah. what you're doing, using it as a thing, it, but it is about... Use. It's I think people people have individual people can come up with to you with individual suggestions. I guess yeah. the maxim that I tend to use is that nothing's free on the internet. Mm. You know, if there's a free service, there's a quid pro quo, and you have mm. to, you know, potentially accept that and potentially donate your image, um, if it'll ever get used to a large image library. Personally, what I do is upload them to Flickr as a private group and then share a guest pass so that people can see them. Um, and on Flickr, you can choose your permissions so you can have copyright, you can have it Creative Commons of different stripes, and you can hide it and only share the links with, 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 with certain people. Um, but again, that's not perfect. I don't know if anyone else... Actually, I would suggest that in a, in a public context like you're talking, Flickr probably is the, the, the most accessible, certainly. There's a lot of other websites um, which can offer um, the services to protect your images. Pixel Rights is a new one in London. Um, which will actually stop the images from being taken in the first place by anybody um, using smart frame technology. But again, it's kind of getting a little bit more involved than, than you would probably want. So I'd say Flickr with an all rights reserved. And then it, it sends a firm <coughs> message that these aren't for public consumption. They aren't for public di uh, dispersal. But it allows you to share them through social media as well. Personally, in mental health terms, the other thing which I find very important in sharing images is that 
I I don't like to Photoshop people or or take away um, blemishes because I, I try and pro body image photography. But what I do do is put them all on a Flickr group and say, if you hate that photo of yourself, tell me. And before they go anywhere else. I'll take it away because I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable and that's kind of nice practice in terms of respecting people's um, nerve, nervousness and all the rest of it. Gail is here to, to harry us out of the room. Um, can, I, can, I give, can I give 30 seconds to, uh, uh, 10 seconds each to my three panellists uh, uh, with Graham first? No, I, I, just to say how much I've appreciated being part of this discussion and your feedback was particularly welcome back there. You should talk separately. I mean, I do think there are, I do think there are levels, you know, and I think we do have to consider that, you know, photography is, there is skill involved in photography and mm -hmm. communicating stories and we don't want to see that die, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't think that's been fully served at the moment. Alison? Um, just been, it's been absolutely fascinating for me as well to hear from all of my fellow panellists and just, um, yeah, I think just the message that I think we've got the ear now of picture editors and the media and we should really sort of make sure we, we keep on at them and, and if you do see the head culture and you want to make a difference, then get in touch with the media and let them know. Mm -hmm. Alex, thanks word. very much for having me and um, yeah, I'd like to echo what Graham said about just think about the photography that is all around us and think about the people that are taking it and it's not always the fault of the, the, the photographer or the picture editor for a, an image being used, but we can actually campaign to stop stigmatising images being used in the media. Super. Thank you so much, everyone. Stuck in my head upstairs was was talking about where the energy of a film sits, and I think I, I will take away from today the idea of where the energy sits in any piece of art relation to, relation to mental health, and I certainly will take that away from my photography. I hope you do too. Thanks very much.